We are supposed to help with the maintenance uh, and, and we are caretakers. Uh, but but we are not the owners of this. This is not this creation is not for us. Uh, we, we are in it. Uh, but but it was not given to us to do whatever we wanted with. They already know how to survive on this planet without destroying it. They they know how to form their groups and using the resources in a, in a wise way. They don't have a conflict between individual success and the common good. I'm really excited to welcome you to this episode of the Live, Love, Learn podcast um, with me, Catherine Edwards. And today I have just had the pleasure of meeting the most amazing lady called Emily. Now, Emily is a fantastic animal empath. She does empathic interspecies communication, but she does so much more than that. And we've had such a wonderful conversation today about so many lessons that we can learn from our animals and how we can really strengthen the communication between all of us with ourselves with other humans and with other species i must say a big thank you to one of my listeners margaret that introduced me to emily i'm very grateful this is one of the wonderful things about the work i'm doing now is the fact that we're all thus like-minded people are connecting across the globe and helping spread them spread the message far and wide i trust Everyone is going to get so much from this conversation, regardless of what your current relationship is with animals or any other species. So some of the things we talked about today are how animals can help us make better decisions for ourselves and very importantly for them as well if we're the caregivers for them. We look at how we can connect on a very deep level um, to have meaningful relationships and understanding with any living being, whether that's another human or any other species. And that's a skill that we really all need to connect back into. And very importantly, we also cover amongst much else the subject of how us humans can help any animals when it comes to the time that they're looking to die and how we can help them in that process. Um, it's a difficult thing that we all have to go through if we share our lives with animals. Um, so we also look at some of the common wisdom that animals from different species share us and want to know. And I promise you, you will find this informative, empowering and uplifting. So sit back, enjoy the episode and always stay curious and stay free. Well, very good welcome to all our listeners today with me, your host, Catherine Edwards. Now, those of you that have been following my podcast, my YouTube channel for a while, know that my main passion in life is helping animals and their humans live healthier and happier using natural solutions, addressing the root cause and connecting back to nature. And my Live, Love, Learn podcast is all about expanding consciousness through curiosity exploring natural solutions in an ever-changing world because my theory on life is that if we know what the real problems are we can find the natural solutions so I could not have a more perfect guest for you today for what how this fits in with with my ethos and what I'm really passionate about so my guest today is Emily Castotta. now I've probably pronounced your name terribly so we can no <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeless with names um, but let me tell you a little bit about Emily. 
Emily has been working full time since 1995 with empathic communication with other species, non-hierarchical riding <laughs> and handling of horses, alternative therapies such as acupuncture, homeopathy and herbal medicine. You've published three books on these subjects. You run a school with horses and other species for empathic interbeing. And we are going to have such a great conversation about this mm -hmm. today. The school is a farm that is a sanctuary for around 170 animals. I thought I had a lot, but <laughs> um, not to mention the surrounding plants and nature. And Emily has also authored a beautiful book called In All the King's Horses. Now, that's not all about Emily. She also runs a non-profit association, Friends of Mio, which was started with the purpose of enabling a place where the land, animals and people can meet in a non-hierarchical way. Friends of Mio supports one of Scandinavia's largest sanctuaries for horses and other animals, and would which these other animals would otherwise have been euthanized, and they now have lifelong homes under the natural conditions as possible. But one of the things we're going to cover at the end of this is at the moment this sanctuary is under some threat because one of the main pastures has been put up for sale. So please do stay right to the end because we'll be talking to you about how we can help support Emily and the work that you will do at your sanctuary, which is absolutely invaluable. And I don't think anyone's not going to be convinced by the end. So a really massive welcome today, Emily. I'm so looking forward to this discussion. All my listeners are absolutely passionate about animals, not just the ones that they might be lucky enough to share their homes with. And I, you, you and I have got our dogs in today, <laughs> but also about animals that we might pursue as humans that we don't have a direct connection with, you know, farm animals that might end up in the food supply, wild animals. But unfortunately, us humans have... A lot of us have gone astray, even though we want to do the best for the animals in our lives, quite often we can make decisions that aren't in their best interest. And when I heard your interview on the Buddha on the Gas Pump podcast with Rick Archer, I was completely blown away with the information you were sharing. So welcome, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you. Thank you very much. It's exciting to connect with people that have similar thoughts because I'm so far off in the forest and have been for so long uh, that I forget that there's an outside world that is obviously very curious to hear these stories. Uh, I wasn't really aware of that. So that's very hopeful and, and interesting. It is really hopeful. And what I found over the last few years where I've been speaking more online is the fact that people really want to do better, but we've been yeah. almost, well, we're probably going to find out today mm -hmm. how um, we've been sort of gone off path quite a lot in terms of our decision makings as humans, but the will I see is really there with most good people to try and understand and do better. But quite often, if we're not doing it from a place of really understanding and looking through the eyes of the animals that were, or nature or any other species that we're trying to help, we think we're making good decisions, but they're actually not. So first and foremost, I think a lot of people have heard of animal communication, and that's something I talk about a lot, but it's never really sat comfortable with you, that, that expression, because when I heard what you do with empathic communication, it really just hit home on a completely different level. Can you explain to people what is empathic communication? Yeah, I, I understand what you mean. I think when we, when we use the word animal communication, we tend to think about telepathy. 
uh, or, or reading the animal, meaning that we somehow observe it from outside, perhaps in a more spiritual sense, but it's still a gap. Uh, and I think when we use the, the spoken language like we do now, it is because of that gap. My Myself as a human being is only harboring me. Yeah. Uh, so in order for me to reach out to the outside world, I first have to know myself well enough to to understand what I'm feeling and then try to phrase it in a way that the other one hopefully can grasp. Uh, and then the other one will get a, at least perhaps a glimpse of what I'm trying to say. And the other one will do the same to me. It's like we are tossing something across this great divide. Uh, and that seems to be how humans relate to the outside world in general, whether it's other humans uh, or other species. Uh, so with species that we can recognize, like, like ourselves or people that look similar to us, uh, then we understand a bit more. Uh, yeah. But it's 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 always about an interpretation. It's, it's not really a meeting point uh, in a way because the gap is always there. Uh, and what happened, what happened to me when I was fairly young, I was 11 and, and riding in a riding school that was very similar to what I think many of us who started with horses young have experienced. Uh, it's a place where you learn how to control your horse and, and you compete with other riders in showing how well you uh, you can tell your horse what to do. It's It's very much about obedience and being heard and understood as a human. Um, and the culture around horses, I find the more I work with it, is very much about our need and not so much about their natural behavior. So we really ask a lot of them. Uh, but I didn't understand that as much as a child. I just felt that there's something not right. And then this whole idea that the animals are not allowed to take over. If we don't control them in this way, they will take over. <laughs> And it's never really properly phrased what will happen when they do. What what exactly are they supposed to take over? Exactly. <laughs> is it our house or or will they kill me? Or or what is this this unspoken fear that what will happen if nature will start to rule, kind of? We know what happens when humans start to rule, and that's quite complicated. So and we don't really see the same in any other species. Uh, so it's it's a strange fear that must come from, from inside. And I also learned that if the horse will uh, will win just once, uh, then it, then then it, it's irreparable. Then you can, if if this horse doesn't jump this fence now, when you don't succeed in convincing him, then you will never be able to jump again, for example. Um, fascinating. And, it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, carry on. And and this this mind frame is is what I grew up with, and I think many of us have, and it, and I mean it's still happening. It's not that it's just past time. Uh, and and in this riding school there was there was a pony there um, well there was many horses it was a big riding school and what happened when these horses were brought to this this circumstance they start to break down and I think most of us have seen that too all these tamed animals that are shut down and I'm thinking that if, if dominance uh, and, and submission is so natural that we sometimes claim it to be then these animals would be happy. Yeah, they wouldn't be closed off and without personality at all. So I think many of us can relate to having seen that progress in, in a lively animal that that end up being just like like a machine. Um, and then there was this pony coming to this riding school that just didn't shut down. 
she she was fighting. Uh, really, it's it's heartbreaking when you think about it. But she was fighting with her life to maintain her integrity, knowing uh, somewhere deep inside that she had the right to defend her own mm. um, personal uh, personal life. I mean, not only to just survive and and have a big enough field or food or whatever, but to actually to fight for the right to be herself. Uh, and, and I think that's something we, we know it in humans, but we struggle even with the concept with us. So, of course, we we struggle allowing animals to fully express themselves because it, it frightens us. And she frightened people. I mean, she was uh, vicious in, in the eyes of the surroundings. She was, she was biting and kicking and refusing a lot of things. So I was very curious about her because there was something in me that... Um, that I couldn't explain, but obviously I saw something in her that was very relevant. Uh, and I guess I was longing for for something else. And I think that's also, it's like you said, we don't want to harm our animals. We love them, but we don't really understand when we do so because we're not in their reality. We yeah. see our interpretation and be very emotional based as well it's like if, if i enjoy jumping a fence that's that's my experience of that event mm. i don't really know how the horse feel about it because i i can't feel that because i don't practice learning how to feel that um so i was curious of getting closer to this very angry little horse a little chestnut mare of course yes <laughs> Can't beat a chestnut mare. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah we we need them. Yes, <laughs> the world needs them. Yeah, uh, and she uh, she looked at me and I looked at her, uh, and and something happened in this meeting. Uh, it's like this invisible wall that would be the gap between us was well, somehow for reasons I I don't know, but it was taken off, and all of a sudden her experience of her situation was felt on the inside. And, and and I mean this is this is 40 years ago almost. Uh, and um I, I've been struggling trying to explain this to myself. But I think what happened is that the sense of self was somehow expanded. So we were sharing the same moment of time. So I guess one thing is that if you would start to cry now, my, my mirror neurons would feel something, would make me feel something, and I would respond to your cry. But I still wouldn't know what you feel on the inside. That would still be different. Yeah. So what so what happened here was somehow that the bubble was expanded. So we were both in it at the same time. It, it doesn't mean that I thought that I was her. I didn't turn into her. But I could, I knew myself, but I also knew her on the inside at the same time. She wasn't an objective anymore. And what I felt was very scary. Uh, I mean, I, I was a child, so it was scary anyway, this shift. Um, but it was this deep sense of powerlessness. Mm. Uh, and no matter how high she would try to scream, uh, no one would hear her. And I'm also thinking that if horses did scream, Perhaps we would react, but their suffering is very silent. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, a dog would scream or bark, but but a horse is silent in its response. So, um, and when they come to a, a specific state, when they know that they can't flee or fight anymore, they turn into apathy, 
and mm. and we may well see that as as uh, a horse being relaxed or trusting or or whatever uh, because when they go into that state they don't frighten us anymore it means that i feel safe so when i feel safe i think that the other one feels safe yeah um and, and this this is problematic because we don't want it to be that way but it just happens uh so when I, when i felt the, this this big uh, deep sort of panic and um desperation is perhaps the word to be used uh, I, I can't forget it because it was such a strong experience. Uh, and at the same time, this this powerlessness of not knowing how to reach out and how to live this life, basically, I could feel inside of myself because I come from a, a family that has been fairly uh, destructive and it was a complicated upbringing. So somehow we shared this feeling and, and I learned that if... I am to open myself to take somebody else in, in this way, then it also means that I have to face whatever is inside of me. Yeah. Because I would be as open to her as she would be to me. So it's like a, a double mirror effect. I would also sense how she experienced me. It will bounce back to me. Mm. So I'm no longer standing on the outside observing someone. I'm standing on the inside being observed and observing someone uh, from a point of fully experiencing it. So there are no words being tossed back and forth. Uh, it is it is a shared moment that I can only put words on afterwards when, when, when the translation back to the human reality is needed. In the moment, there will be no words. It's more like a, an insight that involves all the senses at the same time. And that's why I would call it empathic, because it's the only word I can really find for it, because it seems to me to be a, an extension of, uh, of an empathic possibility, perhaps. And that's why I was just completely blown away when I first heard you talk about that before, because for me, you just hit the hell and express so much better than I've ever been able mm -hmm. to about exactly that feeling because when I'm working with animals or in their presence it's exactly what I feel but then you spend years and years of being shut down of of being told don't be silly yeah exactly you're putting your emotions your feelings your opinions on the animals but when you're feeling it yourself you know it's a difference and you yeah, know it's not exactly now, it might be very empathetic and and understand where they're coming from but I'm constantly you know blown away by this feeling when you do go into that shared space with mm -hmm. with the animals about how much wisdom they have to share for us and one of the things Emily I find really fascinating now is as as a lot of humans in the western world you know we now need nutrition lists to teach us how to eat properly we need mm -hmm. breastwork practitioners to teach us how yeah. to eat properly yeah. <laughs> mindfulness and meditation practitioners mm. to teach us how to quieten our minds connect our hearts and mm. and brains and 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 also step into the present moment and I'm not mocking any of those things because no. I find so so valuable myself and they've all transformed my life quite frankly so but isn't it funny where we don't see any of these professions in the animal kingdom and we, we as humans <laughs> seem to think we're the evolved advanced ones and we can make decisions but what I find, and I'd love your opinion on, is I find so often the animals don't trust us humans to make the decisions. Because if you can't make a great decision about how to feed yourself, how can you possibly understand what your animal needs? 
Exactly. And I think the whole idea that that the only that, because that's what I learned. The only way to have a relationship with an animal is if you are the leader. Otherwise, there is no relationship. And the funny thing is, it seems to be the other way around. Uh, once we start the, this leadership thought, uh, we also the, the, the gap is enhanced. Uh, I move actually further away from this common reality. So I think we need to find our place in this in this reality. Uh, but to be the leader uh, of it obviously can't be our role because every time we try, it's a disaster. I mean, if you look at at our political decisions when it comes to to uh, caring for nature, uh, it's it's going from bad to worse actually at, at the moment. So. Yeah. So that can't be what we are supposed to do. Many animals seem to put humans in a similar role as trees. Like yeah. we are we are supposed to help with the maintenance and, and we are caretakers. Uh, but but we are not the owners of this. This is not this creation is not for us. Uh, we, we are in it, uh, but but it was not given to us to do whatever we wanted with. Um, and because I guess because nature doesn't hit back the way we expect, it's like if we are uh, guided in many ways by by personal gain. I mean, this is what motivates us because it is an immediate response for us. Then nature doesn't seem to work like that. It seems like this this empathic uh, expansion is what everyone else uses as a starting point, like you say. So once you move yourself to that, you see how much is already there. They already know how to survive on this planet without destroying it. They, mm -hmm. they know how to form their groups and using the resources in a, in a wise way. They don't have a conflict between individual success and the common good like we do. Mm -hmm. And they don't seem to relate to linear time the way we do. So it's it's already there. and And somehow we need to to walk that distance, to come to, to where they are. And, and if we do, they, they are surprisingly uh, happy to receive us because you would think that perhaps they'd had enough of us. Yes. But but they always welcome us, even if they, they are tough and they are challenging us because they need to. Uh, they are not telling us to, to turn at the door. Mm. Uh, so, so clearly uh, it must be wiser that we try to move to where they are and learn from them then all these courses and schools and scenarios we have uh, and the teachings we have about how to make animals do what we want we can do that we can make a horse do all sorts of things and dogs and everyone else too but is it really relevant and and is that really what we are looking for i think when this when a little girl starts riding in a riding school they're not looking for dominance or or success they're 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 we're longing for a relationship that that's why we we turn to animals but then we are taught that like you say that we are silly and and too soft or uh, we shouldn't listen to to those inner experiences because because they're not relevant they're not true uh, and then the relationship is lost and then we try to rebuild this again with with all these techniques yeah, um, but there is still a gap. A massive gap. I mean, there's so much in this, I think, for people. I mean, a, a lot of my audience, Emily, have been really questioning 
world events over the last few years because we're on mm-hmm. YouTube we can't mention too many trigger words but mm-hmm. it's been a beautiful time I think of getting people back into questioning some of the rules and regulations that we're told to follow and mm-hmm. also what it feels like to have something that you don't agree with enforced on you and of course for me I was a bit like for me it's been a great awakening in a wonderful way because a lot of people are now sort of saying oh my goodness I don't like it when unstable leaders I mean I heard now what love him or hate him Caesar Milan hurt said once mm-hmm. that you know humans are the only species in the world that follow unstable leaders yeah that's true. Him. it doesn't work in nature and unfortunately people like him and lots of us end up you know working with animals that are put in situations that are so traumatic and awful for them that of course everything's gone away and then you know there's drastic interventions needed if they're going to be kept alive but I think what's really fascinating is that so many people are now questioning, which is why I think your work has never been more important, mm. because we've got a whole range of people now that are saying, well, hang on a minute. I don't want to have certain medical interventions forced on me, but I'm doing it to my animals all the time. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Let me start questioning this. So there's a bit of a light bulb moment that's gone off, I think, in a lot of humanity where they've started to realize what it feels like to really being a one-way conversation and yeah exactly or thoughts um uh, you know completely ignored I mean I know all animals are individuals completely individuals but in the work you've been doing this for so long are there some consistent messages so for example when you're interacting with dogs are there some consistent messages that come up time and time again that that they want us humans to know and understand yeah, I, I think uh, when we speak in, in the relationship area, uh, I think a lot of it is, again, they are looking for a relationship that has equality. Mm. Uh, they they don't want the humans to be submissive either. They want to meet on eye level uh, because only then we can actually grow from that relationship. As long as we maintain um uh, and, and hierarchical structure, someone must be above and someone must be below. And even if it might look like the one above is gaining from it, it, it he or she actually isn't because we're still stuck in the same circle. Uh, so they seem to look for for humans, for us humans, to, to try to figure out who we really are and, and s- somehow live that or stand up for that somehow so that there is someone in the other end to actually have a meeting with. Uh, and it seems with dogs that we have, we feel bad for so many things that we put them through. We worry about how they feel when they are alone. We worry about that we can't give them everything because we love them so much. And that worry then becomes part of our relationship with them uh, and is in the way. Uh, so it's like, well, they, they know that we have to go to work and that we have to do things that we don't, perhaps don't want, but they... They accept our complicated life, but they don't want to spend the short time we have feeling bad about it all. Oh, I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. So very many dogs will have stories like that uh, and that they 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 love us for what we are. We don't need to do so, mu- so many extra things. I mean, we have all these dogs that are understimulated and all of that, but we also have lots of dogs that are overly stimulated yes. because we think that we don't give them enough. Uh, well, very many dogs will say that, and we are happy just, you know, spending time together. It doesn't have to be extraordinary all the time. They they look for, for a feeling of just being 
part of a family because I mean dogs have smaller herds than horses I mean yeah uh, they they do the the meat eating animals do because it's how they get their food uh, so so a small group of friends is 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 quite enough for, for lots of them if we are just present when we are with them I mean that's what they're looking for our our presence it's just such a great gift and and everything you say you know, when you look at anyone who's on a spiritual journey, the messages are just so consistent, aren't they, about being present, about enjoying the moment. What about with horses? Are there consistent messages from the horses that you see? Yeah, I, I think horses, um, they describe a lot of suffering, yes. sadly. They they do. Um, and they have a long history of of serving humans. I mean, so have dogs, but dogs tend to be part of the family. If you have a dog and, and you have formed a relationship, you don't, it's kind of unspoken that you're not going to sell this individual yes. when they're getting older and and they can't go for long walks anymore. You don't then put them up for sale. It's it's sort of natural that you you will you will nurse them in the end and you will help them as much as you can. But horses, uh, they fulfill other needs in us. Um, and and from agricultural work and and wars and and very difficult situations mines um and now to to a great extent competitions and and it's i meet horses that loves competing so it's not that it's wrong for every single one but i would say that it's a stress for a majority of them and that's problematic enough that the, the yes. system we're put them in uh, is is uh, killing them before their time and creating a lot of stress uh, that it, unfortunately we can't get around that even if you find individuals that are very happy where they are they are not really a majority uh, the horses a good competition horse is, is worth so much money uh, that to get out of that system uh, is very hard they're insured to such a large sum that a normal groom will not be able to buy them when they're finished on, on the arena yeah so so it's it's a system and they are close in um and they are very kind i mean nature is generous in its expression uh and will not really protest because it's not really in nature to be revengeful mm. it's it's up to us to to feel in ourselves when we have overstepped the line and, and we will not be able to do that before we develop a certain level of of compassion otherwise we we will not be able to sense that uh, so lots of horses are um i would say that a common thing is is a, a suffering just from the concept of being owned yes that, that you know from when you're a foal and your and that your mother knows from when you are born that this relationship will be cut uh, and and the and the mare will not be able to control where where the the foal is going, so there there there, there yeah it is. I would say that about half of the horses I meet for the first time. Now of course we have to think that people only come to me when they've tried everything else and are quite desperate. So I only see yeah. So I I see the difficult cases and so do you. But of those difficult cases, I would say that about fifty percent suffers from some level of post-traumatic stress disorder not yeah. just being traumatized but actually taking it one step further to 
a fully developed PTSD. And with humans, we know that that's mainly for people that are in wars or have been abused in, in and, and are victims of rape. So if 50% of the difficult cases have that, we, we must question what we're doing uh, to some extent. So we have the first uh, difficult scenario is when we take the phone away from the mother with some idea that this has to be done. Because if we don't do it in this way, whatever, then the foal will not turn into an independent horse. Uh, I have no idea where that idea comes from. Um, in a natural herd, the, the foal will be with the mother until one or two years of age when the next foal is coming. And then they're still not taken out of the herd. Yeah. So to be taken away from your mother and be sold, it means you're taken away from your mother and you're leaving the herd. Oh, uh, very often at the same time and and put in a field with other young horses that has exactly the same experience and no elder horses that no older horses that can show them the way at all so there is the first great cut from from nature and and some horses they they carry those memories for the rest of their lives so if i meet them at the age of 25 that could very well be part of traumas or behavior issues that came later in life it starts there so there is a, a huge subject and then because they don't seem to relate to leadership like in, in in anything that has anything to do with power it's like you could change the word of lead or the concept of leadership to say that whoever is most competent in the situation would naturally take the initiative so it means that you as a human can only take the initiative if you are completely trustworthy, meaning I've done this before. I know it will work. I can go before you on this path because I've, I've walked it before and I know where it leads or I can cross the stream because I know how deep it is, whatever. But it needs to be trustworthy. Um, so when we take a young horse and we start breaking it in, just the word is complicated. We somehow presume that this animal has to be in some way obedient so it doesn't take over. And then we can do something together. So then we, we cut, we make the cut there. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I don't know what you call it in English, but when you when you lunge a horse and you use these reins to tie down the head. Oh, it's, I just can't bear the draw reins, we call Draw reins, draw reins, that's, that's correct. Absolutely. Uh, and th that is actually, for me, in, in my experience, the, the second biggest reason for developing PTSD. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for, for, for a human being, it doesn't look that traumatic uh, because you see a horse running in a circle and it looks quite calm. But the inside experience of that seems to be that, that the person lunging the horse is placing itself in exactly the same angle that, that a, a wild animal would do, uh, trying to catch the horse. So that's how I, I drive it. That's how I run it in front of, of me. And the problem is that the horse can't actually escape the situation. Yeah. In the wild, it would have broken out. <clears throat> and it would have been a valid reason because the animal chasing it would actually need food. So there's something basic about that. It's very unclear for the horse why the human wants me to run. Mm. So you're pushed and, and, and your very deep fear of being caught is, is reactivated, but you can't get anywhere. Yeah. And, and, and the drawings seems to definitely add to 
to that nightmare experience. I think some of us have had nightmares where we run, but we always run too slow. In the dream, yeah. it's like you, you can't change the situation. And that's exactly what they describe. So an everyday situation like lunch and withdrawings can cause PTSD. And we have no clue because we see a horse that is sort of accepting whatever mm. uh, scenario. And we want them to work with the backs in a particular way that we perhaps not don't investigate deeper. We just want it to look like that. And we're happy. Mm. Uh, and you have a horse that is slowly going to stop trying to survive and definitely not express its personality. And and uh, so there are lots of stories about that. Yeah. Um, much more than you think. And also that they come into this situation uh, in a herd, whatever is your skill is seen as an asset. So if you have very fast reflexes and you're a horse, it's a brilliant thing for the rest of the group. Mm. Now, if you have very fast reflexes and you come to a human situation, that's not an asset at all because it frightens us. It's unpredictable. Yeah. So it, it's likely that we will somehow punish the horse for this behavior that, first of all, it can't control. Mm. And second, is is fundamental for the survival. So you get a sort of double punishment that is completely impossible for the animal to understand. And, and now I've had this work for so long. And it's thousands of empathic meetings, uh, and so many of them contains violence. And and until up until today, I've never heard an animal describing that they know why they have been punished. Yeah. So so they obviously learn nothing from it. They only learn how to avoid us, uh, but they they don't learn anything of the subject that we are trying to teach them. It's it's just like uh, like a like a, a rat in a laboratory. Yeah, they 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 learn how to move from the electric shock to the cheese, uh, but there is no growing or or development in it, and and they can describe that. So it's uh, I don't mean to be very negative, but th this is this is a reality, and uh, and we need to change that, and we can change it also. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've, um, I've got a, a couple of ponies now. Unfortunately, I lost one last year. I, I love looking after old animals, and my, yeah. my greatest pleasure mm -hmm. is giving an old animal a really beautiful end of life home. It's yeah. sad when they come to me because they would rather be with their family that they've been through. But it's tragic to see how many horses, for example, are rehomed and sold, etc. Um, but I now very rarely ride. I've got a new forest pony that lived wild for the first four years of his life. And he has been my best teacher, Emily, because he's so in tune with his natural instincts. And I, it amazes me how many I, I don't have riding lessons or anything anymore because I disagree with what they all say because mm. I don't want to control him. I want we spend as humans so much of our lives, anyone who's on a spiritual journey or or looking for what next in their life about how to retap into our intuition. So why would I want my horse? He's he knows what's down that path way before mm. I know. So yeah. it's a beautiful sort of relationship. And also I do, you know, teaching people how to let their animals forage and take what they need. Because if you imagine you're shut in a square field or worse, even worse, a stable, and you yeah. can see nature has got all the remedies that you need to yeah. keep yourself physically and emotionally in balance mm. and you're fenced away from them. It's just mm. like torture, isn't it? <laughs> yes. 
Um, yes. But it's so wonderful. Um, you know, I've got, I, I cannot bear the tight nose bands that they wear now. Mm, yes. If you can't, my opinion is if you can't, ride your horse without just riding it in a whole term and bareback you shouldn't be on it <laughs> you know no I, I i agree and then there of course are situations where you can find gear that really suits what is best for that couple that could be different yeah. but that means that you have asked the horse i mean absolutely the horse is an equal part in all those we speak about that this non non-hierarchical uh riding training uh, that is based on a horse called Mio. he's not alive anymore but he used to be a tourist horse uh, in the sort of Western camp situation. So she, he carried thousands of people, tourists. Mm. And and I met him when he was retiring from that. Uh, and the family just wanted to figure out how he was. And then it turns out that he'd learned so much from that experience that he wanted to share it. And preferably he wanted someone to listen because he didn't want to do it all over again. Uh, so he ended up moving to our place and, and, uh, I took lessons from him for for the next 10 years of his life. He died when he was 31 and he was finished with his mission and his body had finished. Um, but he started by by explaining that horses do not respond to to closed doors. They 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 respond to openings. So every aid that we are using that is diminishing their space will actually go against what they would naturally choose to do. So, for example, if we turn right in a traditional way, we will pull the right rein mm. and perhaps even lean to the right. So the right side is now it is now very tense. Mm. Uh, and, and the horse naturally would actually prefer to move away from that feeling and, and go left. But then we push with our left leg so that they can't go in that direction. And finally, with all of these details, we managed to make a right turn because we decided to do so mm. uh, for reasons that could be questioned <laughs> uh, but with 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 Mio's way of thinking he said well if it is a good idea to turn right then the rider could could rotate his his right hip outwards meaning we we open the outside hip uh and and we open the the inner shoulder uh without reins or with reins but preferably without anything that is tying uh we just open the diagonal that makes it easier for the horse to turn if he or she would choose to. Mm. So we can actually add to the experience of a horse carrying a human could experience more and even be helped in the movement by the two bodies merging together. But that can never be based on control. And, and I've heard so many times we talk about chestnut mares that, you know, well, you shouldn't force the horse and especially not a chestnut mare. You have to ask, ask them. But it's never a question because if they say no, Yes. They will either be punished uh, or we learn that we ask the question wrong. If we would have asked it right and done everything right, we would have gotten what we expect. Uh, we can do everything right and the horse still has the right to say, well, I, I don't see that this right turn is a wise decision, so I decide not to. Absolutely. And that is an answer we have to respect because they know something else. Any friendship-based relationship, I mean, it would be boring if my friend would only come and have coffee with me because I forced her to, and she knows the consequences if she will not drink her coffee. It's, it's oh. not a friendship. <laughs> so I, I don't know why we, we think that we are asking a question because it's not, it's not technically a question when there's only one answer that is accepted. 
It's uh, it's so true. There's so many things going through my mind, and 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 you know when you do ask the question. So for example, I've got a lovely lady that's been riding my Romeo for since um, for twenty years now. And she does everything very differently to me. So she likes to still wear a bridle, but she's so great the way she asks him. Mm. And he he's absolutely happy for her to put yeah. a bridle on him because she's so respectful the way she asks him everything. Yeah. And it's really fascinating for me to watch his relationship with her. He's far more tolerant about everything with her because yeah. he generally gets that you know she's really doing everything she can and then with me he can be much more instantaneous and and some people would call it rude I don't call it rude at all I think fantastic I'm now really clear yeah. what you do and don't want but he responds so beautifully to the different personalities it's yeah. just wonderful to see and I, I love seeing them together because it teaches me so much about the other side of his personality it's wonderful yeah and, and I mean the natural thing would also be that the herd of horses is based on all these personal relationships you're yes. not supposed to be the same with everyone you meet I wouldn't be exactly um, I mean that that would be a sign of having shut down so so the fact that he is so different in yeah. these situations and they also say that putting boundaries is, is a natural thing I mean I have to say do I allow myself to be bitten or walked on or it's up to me it doesn't have to be put across as a punishment because I ha we had this traumatized horse that came to our farm and she bit me in the arm and and I was just surprised because I didn't see it coming so I just looked at her and she looked at me and she was expecting a punishment and and I didn't have that reflex anymore uh, so I just said well well you can't really bite me because it, it hurts too much mm. and she never bit after that and and then so what happened there well then I understood from her that I can't tell her that she's not allowed to bite because she is. She has a mouth. She can bite. It's her choice. I can, however, explain how I experience it and what is a boundary for me. It doesn't mean that I see her as doing something wrong when she bites me. She's doing what she's doing. Uh, and, and, and I can still show what is okay for me. So, so if you enjoy when this horse is showing more of his character mm -hmm. and in the eyes of others, perhaps being pushy, but not in your experience, then you have yeah. you have told him how you are happy to have this relationship. And he's responding to that. Mm -hmm. And that's nobody else's business because mm -hmm. that's that's between you and him, as it would be in a herd. Uh, it's wonderful. I, I must just tell you, my funniest experience with him is if I'm being disrespectful to him, and I do genuinely know it's disrespectful, because it would be like me having this conversation with you, and then me suddenly taking a call with a friend and just completely ignoring you. Yeah. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm walking with him up to one of his other fields or anything, if I then talk on the phone, he'll yeah. back off, because normally I don't have him in lead rope, he just follows me yeah. up and everything. But he's like, how rude, how rude. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just laugh because I'm like, yes, that was really rude. I would have someone said that to me. So I, I love all this. There's so much we can all learn. So where would you think people could start? So there'd be a lot of people watching this that might be lucky enough to share their life with some animals, whether mm. it's cats, dogs, guinea pigs, chickens, hamsters, horses. Where would you encourage them um, to actually start to to re-engage on a different level with this relationship? Well, I think uh, Miyu was always very precise in saying that you always begin where you are. I mean, if a, if, if a horse and rider comes to me and 
Um, they are doing lots of things that I perhaps wouldn't agree with, but I see that this this is this is the, their situation now. You start from there. Perhaps the rider would be so terrified if I took away the bit or something else that yes. it wouldn't actually help the situation. Yeah. And perhaps that's not a goal for this particular relationship to speak about goals, but that's how do we how do we find the form for this relationship to start to have the opening to develop from the inside? And I think that's also your question. And and I, I think the starting point would be to be truly curious about how the other one, who the other one really is. Mm. It's like when we do courses here, the first exercise is to have a blindfold uh, and someone is, is coming up with a horse uh, and you just ask the question, who are you? And I mean, this this is difficult with, with an animal that we already know, but we can still be open to the fact that perhaps I don't know this individual really. Mm. I know the reflection of this individual and I know the reflection of me and what I think is needed from me in this relationship. But did I ever really ask who you are behind all of that? Um, and I think very many of us are afraid of of this empathic meeting. Uh, this is sad, actually. Very many people will come to me and say, I would love you to meet my animal, but I'm so afraid that he or she will say that, that they will say that they don't love me. Yeah. And so perhaps our biggest fear and the reason behind all of this suffering and domination and violence is that like any other destructive relationship, we we believe that the other one will not stay with us unless we somehow force them or make them helpless. Yeah. I mean, that that's very sad. So I think one of the big, big uh, hindrances in, in these meeting points is that I'm afraid of the answer. I'm afraid that if I would truly ask this animal, who are you and, and, and what do you need, that they will choose not to be with me anymore. Because, yeah. because love for us seems to be an emotion and love for everyone else on this planet seems to be a state of being. Mm. So if you are alive, you are included in this creation. It means that you are welcome on the on the planet. Somehow we have lost that feeling of of being a part of i remember my maori teacher used to say that we have to remember become a member again uh, and, and i think we are afraid of being excluded so we don't ask the question we don't let the horse loose uh, free in the forest because we presume that he will never come back to me again mm. so so i think we we are facing a fear of abandonment uh when we because we need to make ourselves more vulnerable in order for this to happen and i think one of the greatest fears we have is fear of abandonment mm. uh, or being rejected uh, so we, we need to know that th this is not how the rest of i never meet an animal that say that they love or don't love this or that person yeah they, they can they can express that they dislike certain things that we do but they never seem to hate anyone that ever harmed them I agree. It's amazing. And also, do you find, Emily, that they're very, very forgiving? So, for yeah. example, an example that I would have, which just blows me away every time, say um, someone's got a few dogs in their life and say um, they've been feeding them a commercial dry food and the dogs develop some health issues. If they then decide to feed them, say, a natural food mm -hmm. or, or food or even just put more more thought and love into what they're giving them i've never ever heard a dog say well i wish you'd done that a year ago they're no never thank never thank you never 
they 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 are non-judgmental. Um, and and I think if what we come from uh, when, when I meet animals that are like you, I I was so happy when I heard you say that you love to be with old animals. I love that too. And it also means that I'm taking part of being with them when they die yeah. uh, quite often. And it, of course, there is the personal sadness, but there is also a kind of beauty in that passing. Lovely. So it really makes me believe that when we die, we we are going to something good. Uh, it's We don't really need to be afraid of what will happen next, I think, mm-hmm. uh, based on that. Uh, but there seems to be an, an unconditional acceptance and, and love that we go to and that we come out of. So that's actually what we consist of. Uh, And if you are connected to that source, then it would be easier to forgive uh, because you see who the other one is underneath. Yes. It's it's easier to understand why it happens. Uh, But I think the sense of powerlessness and, and desperation that comes in the development of PTSD and this chestnut pony is when the system is preventing them from being who they are supposed to be. It's 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 not a person that, I mean, very few of us are sadists. It's very few people that would want to harm animals. Uh, but the system in itself is something that they can't reach out to. There, there is not a person to, to communicate with. So, so when we try to change this, I think what humans have done is that we, we depersonalize our surroundings. Uh, and then we take what we want. Mm. So if trees don't have any souls or spirits, then uh, then we can cut them down yeah. because it wouldn't cost me anything. Uh, if if the horse doesn't feel anything and they don't know that they're dying, then it's easier for me to put him down when he can't compete anymore mm. because I want another competition horse and I can only afford to have one. So so what we need to do, I think, is 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 okay. So we have to start then with the basic groundwork. We have to personalize the world again Mm. so it it comes back to the first question who who are you Uh, i'm now looking for the person in you and you start to live in a world where everyone is someone uh, rather than everyone being uh, objectives that that are for me to use somehow and which also makes us so unhappy we we know that the you know the, the the state of the, the, the psychological health in humanity is people are not happy in the system. So we speak about the suffering of animals, but we could also choose to speak about the suffering of humans because we're not gaining from this at all. And it's so beautiful. I mean, I've just read a book, um, Mutant Messages Down Under, and it's about a lady who allegedly spent some time with an Aboriginal time. And the messages are so beautiful. And what, what the way you describe in terms of the non-hierarchical and everyone saying a herd has a specific <laughs> role, they describe beautifully and tell how they yeah. live. So much yeah. more I want to discuss with you, but I'm very yeah. conscious of time. And we haven't, <laughs> I think we might need a whole separate session on cats. because <laughs> they. Yeah, have, yes. Yes. And they would prefer that too. They wouldn't want to be mixed in with them. No, they wouldn't want to. I mean, I've only got five cats <laughs> and, and they've, they've taught me more than I can imagine because I'm quite a natural warrior and protector and when my cats go walk about and everything, it's it's like I am very well known in the area for what <laughs> a head torch calling, waking them all up, looking for my cats. 
But I love the freedom that they disperse. And and what you were saying about who are you, you know, everyone watching this, I'd really love you just to take a quiet moment and think how amazing of the loved ones in your life, humans or other species, asked you that question. Mm. How would that make you feel? It's just such a powerful, powerful question. And how many of us would actually know how to answer? Mm. Because, but that's probably for another time. Yeah. (laughs) There's just two more, one more question before we get on. I really, really want people to know how to connect with you. And then I'm really hoping I can persuade you to come back because it's just such priceless information. I have had a lot of inquiries recently about um, people who've got animals in their lives that are at the end of their life. Yes, they might not want to listen to this, but oh, how adorable. (laughs) Oh, hello, darling. Who's that? This is Sigge. <laughs> oh, Sigge. Oh, how gorgeous. So I don't know if he'll want to listen. He might want some advice for this. So there's a lot of people that one of the most traumatic things you can do as someone who's got animals in their lives is when to make that decision to oh, have yes. the end of life. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, however many times I've been through it, more times I care to remember both with my own, but also it's something I do offer to other people as well to make sure if they yeah. need that extra support. But it's a very, very um, traumatic time for the humans um, as well as the animals. Could you, are there any, I know it's a huge subject, but from your experience with so many, going through this so many times with different species, are there any sort of words of wisdom that you could share for humans watching this? Well, I think there is one story that that would be helpful because it was to me, although I still miss that horse so much that um, I'm, yeah, I, was, I still struggle to accept that she went mm. um, because I didn't I didn't see it coming. She had a neurological injury that just flared up and it, it put her in a situation where she couldn't stand up. Uh, and she was another chestnut mare. She was a very free spirit. And the idea of being, you know, hanging in something or being confined, it was not an option for her. And she couldn't stand without that kind of support. So she made me realize that this is the end of this body. Uh, And for many animals, it is only the end when the body doesn't, can no longer be used for expressing the inside. Mm. We think that they want to leave when there is a slight sign of pain. But I would say that most individuals that are happy with their life, they can they can handle some pain. I mean, the idea of having a life without pain, I, I don't think we can expect that. Suffering is something else. But 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 pain is is part of growing older to some extent. Uh, and this wasn't a painful state because it is she had no feeling at all in her hind legs. Mm-hmm. But she came to the conclusion that this body can no longer express who she is. And and for her to not be able to run freely, it was the end for her. Uh, so she was lying down and, and and I asked all the people to leave who was helping trying to make her stand up. So we were lying down next to each other, looking at the clouds for hours. And 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 she explained that she probably probably by the evening uh, when when the sun would set, it would be time for her to leave. And then she explained what I think could be helpful, because she said that when you know that you are dying and you have accepted that. It means that all your defense mechanisms that are put there in order to help you to survive, they are, you can let them go because you don't need to survive anymore. So you have no more anxiety. 
uh, no more fear. There is this, this complete freedom that can only perhaps be experienced in that specific time of your life. Because the rest of, of your life, you are meant to survive, but now you're not anymore. And for most individuals, it would be very, very helpful to, or or it's a deep wish to be able to experience that. So she wouldn't want to be put down while she still feels that freedom. Yes. But then she said, after a while, in her case, if she was in the wild, she wouldn't be able to reach food or water, and then the body would start to starve, and then there would be suffering. Mm. And in the wild, uh, a prey animal would would know that exact time. She said that is their duty to see where this, this spiritual freedom changes into a physical suffering. That's when you will be eaten by another animal. Yeah. And now when we are protecting them from that by fencing and stables, and, and uh, then it's actually our role to see that exact line. When does, does the freedom of the expression of the individual uh, turn into a physical suffering and that is when we need to go in and either help them i mean some animals here they they die by themselves because their condition is such that the suffering will not be long and they might prefer not to get the help of being euthanized but in her case it wouldn't be so because it was it was in her spine so she would die from starvation and that was not an option for her or for me so I, I called a neighbor who is a hunter and who sometimes helps us. And I explained the entire situation for him because this was, of course, weekend and evening, as it always is. And and he said, well, I understand exactly what you mean. Just tell me when she has reached that point and, and I will come. So 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 I think as hard as it is, and I will always find it hard. It's but that really helped me knowing that, OK, for as long as there is a freedom of expression and and this this uh, you are still able to experience who you are the body still yeah. give you that option then most of us wants to live life wants to be lived mm. most of us wouldn't want to die before our time mm. but when we know that from this point on uh, there will only be suffering and and i'm done when when i communicate with animals that are ready to die they always express a feeling of contentment Yes. So if, if this contentment isn't there, it means that we're not ready to go. Yeah. So if someone just expresses a, a desperation or saying that I can't stand this anymore, I can't stand this anymore. I'm thinking this is unless you have a, a, a twist, uh, twisted gut or something, then it's not usually a sign for being ready to die. It's yeah. more of a psychological suffering. So so I think we can see this this dividing line. But most of us would put down the animals before then, I think. Yeah. Uh, so they don't get to experience this 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 old age uh, yeah. where where you are no longer actually uh, your role in the herd is no longer so physical. Mm-hmm. You're more of a spiritual asset, and 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 you're much more free. I think we can see it in in elderly people too. Yeah. Who, who are done being the good girl and now they are completely free and they don't want yes. to die then, even if they are lame and hunched back or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's the same for animals. Uh, but then, of course, we have the animals that are finished and ready to go, but we cannot release them because of our emotional issues. That is that is another problem. Mm. Because and because then we don't see the need of the animal. We just see a projection of ourselves. 
absolutely there's a lot of people that say they can't live without them and that can be you know really really difficult for the animals that's so helpful thank you so much because you know it's something we're all going to have to go through if we're lucky enough to share our lives with animals yes uh, last weekend one of my guinea pigs died in my arms and mm. uh, but you know it was weird I was called to go in and see them just at the time I was needed you know so um so that was you know great that I could be there with her I could literally talk to you all day but very very importantly your sanctuary is at a stage a turning point where you need some extra funds to buy this land can you explain to everyone where yeah. <coughs> I mean because because of all the things we have explained it means that very many animals live here because if I meet an animal that people want to put down because it doesn't jump a particular fence or isn't nice enough or whatever, they they have ended up here for as much space as we can give them. So it's it's 65 horses and and, uh, and all together between 160 and 170 animals. And the farm is quite small. I mean, the farm that we actually, I mean, I don't believe in the ownership of anything and particularly not land, but... But we have the legal <laughs> the legal ownership of the place. That is a winter field for half of the horses. And everything else is land that we are leasing mm. uh, from very many different people because it has this has developed over a long period of time. And we're leasing these grazing lands from very many different people, hoping that this will not put us in this particular situation of everything happening all at the same time. But now we have a global situation, actually where humans have realized that we we can't use oil as much as we have because we're burning the planet, but we are not prepared to change our lifestyle. So now we need electricity for everything we do. So one big grazing field is becoming a, sun, a solar park mm -hmm. uh, for solar cell energy. Uh, and a few other fields are, being to, are going to be replanted with trees. And that's not really, that's not a forest being grown. It's just because in Sweden, we cut down so many trees that we have a carbon monoxide problem. So we are then replanting grazing areas, uh, which is terrible for, for the, the biodiversity. But yeah. now we only care about this particular number. <laughs> yeah. So lots of fields are disappearing because of that. And in the middle of that happening, uh, then the biggest, the biggest grazing area we have, where we also base our school, because where we live is too small, um, is going to be for sale. Wow. So with all of that happening, it means that by next year, we are losing half of the grazing lands, which makes a difference when there are so many animals. And at first we were just desperate and thinking that, okay, this is the end of it. We have to, you know, pack up and leave. But then some students said, well, what if we try to, to actually find funds to buy this farm that is for sale? And, and this farm is, is very expensive. So that's a lot of money in a short time, but why should we give up before we even try? Brilliant. Uh, so, and then we realized in the process of, of, of finding this hope is that, okay, so if we manage to buy this farm or if we don't manage to buy this farm, we will save the money for when, when a farm turns up for sale that could be used for this purpose, then we will turn it into a foundation. Because because with the the legal form of a foundation, it means that the land will literally, legally own itself. Yes. Uh, and it means that it will pass my lifetime. Yeah. Which I think is what the horses are wishing for. Uh, because then also the herds of horses that 
that once knew this this chestnut pony that started it all and that knew Mio that gave the teachings, we have a winter field that is secured. And if we can have grazing fields that are secured by a foundation, it means that we can have a continuity Brilliant. In, in the herds. And, and this school can continue because what we find in the school is that it's, it is possible for humans to to learn and develop compassion in this sense. It's it's not a skill that you have to be born with or you have to be lucky for it to just happen. It's we can actually we can do things to move towards that kind of future because we we can't leave this planet to the next generation. I mean it's embarrassing what we're doing. We, we we have to do something while while we still can. And even if this is a, a, a tiny fraction of a piece of soil and, and a few horses in a faraway country, it's it's a starting point. We have to start with what we have. Absolutely. And to create something that is not based on personal gain and perhaps where humans can get the chance to practice being caretakers because it's a land that none of us will, will own personally. Mm. And, and I think that's a necessity. Otherwise, it will still be ours, and and we're still stuck in the same um, cycle. That's absolutely beautiful. So there's going to be a link below um, to the foundation website where there's donation options on there. So you can either donate by PayPal or there's bank details that people can use and yeah. contact forms. And I would love, nothing would make me happier if, you know, this is where I think the power of the human community really steps in and does its bit. Yeah. Each and every person that listened to this was able to give whatever they are in and, and however big or small, you know, there's no judgment, but every little thing helps. But also it, it really does. Yeah, and for pass it forward. So if this conversation and all of me uh, Emily's beautiful work resonates with you, to pass it forward to some other friends that you think it's going to resonate because together we can all make such a huge difference. And and you know really it there's it's it's got to happen it's got <laughs> to happen so all the links will be below as always you've all got my contact details um and then um we've got so much more we could talk about but i don't I'm conscious of your time for today <laughs> i'd love to invite you back to talk yeah. about some more of you i know you're an incredibly busy lady but um, I think the work that you're doing is absolutely invaluable to all of us at this time. There's so much that we can learn from what you're doing. So I thank you so much. Is there anything you. you wanted to share before we leave for today? Yeah, well, well, I'm thinking um, what what we realised when we when I when we understood that okay, we meaning all the people who are doing you know volunteering here, helping with the work realizing that this can only happen if we are very many individuals helping each other and the horses always explain that this place will be carried by very many small good deeds and and I, I can see the point in that and it also seems to be that for that to happen we need to share the stories yes of what is happening here because there's no other way to reach out and the stories seem to really be relevant to people so I think even if if there is if you have nothing that could be given and you think what can I do well sharing the stories seems to do a lot yes and and we wouldn't be forced to do that I think there could be something good in this even if it's scary when it happens like all big changes but I mean I wouldn't have turned out to tell these stories to the world if if I if I didn't have to and then I understand from the horses and the other animals that okay so perhaps that's also what they really want yeah 
uh, it's not just for their personal life and, and, and safety and happiness, having these huge fields to be in. That's very important too, because if they cannot express who they are, they cannot share their stories. So we need the space. But for the stories to travel, uh, that's equally important, actually. And I didn't really realize that, but it seems to 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 make a difference to, to share it, definitely. I love that so much. And when you look at every ancient tradition since times began that we know about, whatever time might mean, <laughs> that's <laughs> <Yeah>. a conversation, <laughs> but... This is the way that we we as any species, whether it's humans, whether it's any other species, a plant or animal, this is this is the way it's been done through storytelling, because through yeah. storytelling, you can put the the feelings, the emotions, your heart into it, not just the cold thing. So I think this is absolutely beautiful, Jen. I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation today. Mm -hmm. I think you and the work that you're doing is absolutely beautiful and so important and we've all got so so much to learn from you so thank you so much for being thank you today. I do know how much work there is looking after that <laughs> um that's why I, I went out yesterday and it's amazing Zach Bush it was incredible but it made me laugh I was like these are definitely working women's hands <laughs> I'm never complete if I haven't got poo under my fingernails so sure. <laughs> everyone, please let us know in the comments below on whatever platform you're watching this on what other questions you've got and what would be really useful information for you and next time perhaps emily we can talk about the other work you do there where people can come and learn from yeah. from, from the animals thank you bye everyone thank you. <laughs> i really hope you enjoyed that conversation and I hope there's at least one thing that you can take away and apply to your own life or to the lives of your animals. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And if you feel inspired, please do share with your friends and family. My goal is to inspire as many people as I can to live their best lives, to stay curious and to raise their consciousness and that of the collective. So to do this, I need to reach as many people as possible and this needs your help. If you feel drawn, would you be willing to share your favourite episode with five different people? This helps us spread the word and also helps me encourage some exciting new guests to take part in this podcast. If you feel drawn to do that, I will be very, very grateful. All the links and discount codes where applicable for all the products that I support are on my two websites, katherineedwards.life and katherineedwardsacademy.com All of the products are personally tried and tested by me, my family and my clients. And finally, please do press the follow or subscribe button depending which platform you're listening on. And above all, stay curious and stay free. <laughs>